Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And we come to you the day after MLS Decision Day. There was a lot of drama, particularly in the Western Conference, as we've been talking about pretty much for the last couple months. And uh, some crazy stuff happened, Justin. Before we go there, let's first talk about the Premier League Game Week 11 um, we had some sackings, some appointments. Obviously, Antonio Conte's first game with Spurs, uh, the Manchester Derby. So let's talk about the Premier League first, and then we'll get on to um, discussing a lot of the drama that we had on Decision Day. Um, let's start with that Manchester Derby. Um, you guys going to Old Trafford and picking up a 2-0 victory. What, were you, what was your reaction to that game? Yeah, it was, well, obviously very happy um, with the performance, incredible performance from City, uh, complete domination, really, from start to finish. Um, and I, I actually went to a Derby watch party at a pub um, in L.A., and it was, it was a good time. There were a lot of United fans there, um, so it was fun to watch their misery. But um, <laughs> At 5.30 but, a.m. So correct. That only, that only compounds it. Correct. Correct. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it was really a, a, an incredible performance from City. Um, the way that we, Pep, Pep finally tactically outshone Ole, showed who, who was, you know, a top manager and who isn't. Um, the way that Pep employed our uh, wingers to pin the fullbacks back and force Manchester United into a back five, allowed Cancelo to move uh, very wide and have extreme freedom. Um, he, showed, he showed his class again. Uh, over the weekend, he against um, Manchester United, he had two assists, 125 touches, 93 accurate passes, which nearly nearly 90 percent pass accuracy, six ground duels, one six accurate long balls, four tackles, and a key pass. An incredible performance. Um, he continues to lead, you know, Manchester City in a ton of different categories like that. Uh, he has the most touches in the attacking third of any player in the Premier League this season with Mohamed Salah second, Bruno That is third. remarkable for a fullback. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's really shining everywhere. Uh, he's been unbelievable this year. Um, and his, his Portuguese compatriot, Bernardo Silva, had an unbelievable game uh, really everywhere on the pitch, uh, do, doing all types of things. Uh, just, I... I I can't say enough about this performance. It really was an absolute domination of Manchester United. And, and that was fun to see um, Manchester. I mean, there's so many stats you can throw out. Like the fact that Manchester United had more shots on their own net than they had on Manchester cities. They, <laughs> yeah. I've got one for you. How about this? Ruben Diaz had more passes in the final third than any United player. Kevin De Bruyne created more chances than the entire Manchester United team combined. Yeah, I mean, it was complete territorial dominance. United were stuck in their own end the entire game. You know, like, I, I was watching the game, and basically from the seventh minute, I was like, as soon as, as Bailly put that one in his own net past De Gea um, from the Cancelo cross, I was like, yeah, no, this game's over. I, I could tell immediately United have no chance of winning this game. City were so rampant in midfield, winning every second ball. United looked completely lost for ideas. And then Cancelo got another assist. I mean, I think De Gea should have done a lot better on, on Bernardo Silva's goal. Obviously, he, he wasn't expecting Bernardo Silva to be able to get that on target. But, you know, I'm not going to complain because that was another assist, assist for Cancelo who got me 14 <laughs> points on FPL. So thank you very much. Yeah, and I mean, De Gea was incredible. I mean, it could have been 5-0 if not No, for he him. had a bunch of really good saves. Yeah, yeah. He, he was. He had a fantastic game. Clearly United's best player. Um, until, yeah, until, mean, well, until Bernardo Silva's goal. That was the one thing, he, you know, that he should have saved that. But Yeah, but he, he kept a lot of other ones that should have gone in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the one that the, – finishing up on the stats, the one that really hit me is – Man City completed 753 passes in the game. That's the most that any team in the Premier League match has completed against Manchester United since Opta began recording the data. So I, basically, you know, in, in the past decade or so uh, or, or two, it's really incredible uh, the way that it, City dominated. And, and it was incredible to me that 
you know, all, I don't see Ole getting sacked still after, you know, another stat. Manchester United have conceded more goals at Old Trafford this season than Norwich have at Carroll Road. I mean, Daniel Farka just got sacked right after a win, so which we'll get to in a second. But Ole should, uh, you know, should have been gone by now. And, and it's hilarious to me that he's getting dominated like this after what happened against Liverpool, both at Old Trafford. Uh, and he's still not getting sacked. Sky Sports reporting today that Manchester United have no plans of sacking him. So, you know, happy hey, good times. For the, good for the rest of us, yeah. Exactly. Good for the rest of us. But, yeah, in, in really incredible performance, uh, everything that you expect from Manchester City and, you know, nothing much against for, for United. I mean, I'm looking at the Premier League website right now. So your stat from Opta on completed passes, maybe this is total passes, I don't know. But this is 832 passes for City to 400 for United. That's a bit mental. Yeah. It, it, yeah I mean, you, sure. you, you could list stats all day about how much better City were than United in this game. It, it was just night and day. It wasn't clear. And I do think, I think 2-0, honestly, it, it, this could have easily been, you know, another one of those Liverpool performances if, if, you know, maybe De Gea hadn't been standing on his head or if City had just been a bit more clinical like uh, Liverpool obviously were at Old Trafford a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, you heard Phil Foden say it after the game in his post-match interview. He said it was the best game he, that they've ever had, one of the best you know performances ever um, in in his life. And uh, you know, Pep, Pep wanted to counter and say, "Well, he's young; he'll have a lot of he'll have a lot of great ones." But an incredible performance all around um, in the Manchester Derby, which is obviously a massive game. Quickly going through some of the other Saturday results. Chelsea were held to a 1-1 draw at Stamford Bridge by Burnley, who scored a goal in the 79th minute, courtesy of Mate Vidra, completely against the run of play. Um, it was Reese James whipping one in for Kai Haver to open the scoring in, in the first half. But um, it's an unfortunate dropped two points for Chelsea. They had 70% possession. They had twice as many shots on target, which was only four, to be fair. But also... You know, you have to, you know, take into account that they're missing both Werner and Lukaku. They were starting Ross Barkley and Hudson Adoy as their attacking midfielders, which is a bit mental. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, good point for Burnley. They're starting to build some momentum after obviously winning their first game of the season last week. Yeah, you know, Chelsea are, have, have been more clinical than, than we saw in this game. 25 shots, only four of those on target. It's not, not very clinical. And then obviously only one goal. But, yeah, but with your two strikers out, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. And uh, to me, this, this game is summed up very simply. The glorified Burnley got Burnley'd. Oh, uh, man. I, I hope, hopefully you drop that by the end of the season. I, I, don't, I don't think it's I – don't, uh, I don't know about that comparison. I, I do know about that comparison because they sit back in a back five, they counterattack, and that, that's how they score clinically on, on a few chances. Um, it's you know they've been doing that throughout the season uh and it eventually will catch up to them it's starting to maybe uh in this game i just mm. it's it's the reason it's the reason i believe you know city will take this title because i believe that the way that chelsea play cannot be uh, it won't continue uh you know they have um they have Leicester City and then, you know, United in their next two Premier League games with Juventus. Neither of those are, are, based on form, neither of those are actually terribly diff difficult fixtures. It's true, but without, without their um, strikers, I don't know when, when exactly Lukaku will be back. But it, I, I just struggle to see Chelsea be able to continue that, you know, really smash and grab style that they have. And I know that people are going to disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But when you look at the way that they play, it's very uh, defensive focused. I mean, I just think that they are Mourinho's spurs if Mourinho's spurs were good. No, like, because Mourinho's Chelsea, Chelsea, spurs. No, I, here's the thing. Mourinho's Chelsea spurs have won had, titles playing defensively in the past. Right. It's but true. Mourinho's they did spurs, it twice under Mourinho. Mourinho spurs had Son and Kane tearing up the league offensively, which and they Chelsea were still do not, not have. good. But they were right, still not because, good. Right, well, they weren't much as defensively. Better midfield, a much better back line. 
Right, exactly. And when Lukaku comes back, they still have a top five striker in the world. Well, but in order to play that way, you need a counterattacking ability like the way that Son and Kane could literally by themselves go from back to front uh, uh, and and score a goal, which I, I don't think Chelsea have. I think obviously. I mean, they've scored the second. They've scored the second high. most goals in the whole league, only behind Liverpool. So yeah, well, okay, they, seven nil. Seven they, nil they've at scored, they've Stat scored. Padding. Okay, that's a good point. I was gonna say they've scored twenty-seven to year twenty-two. Well, you guys also played Norwich, right? We did, and that's and that's five goals for you. So, I understand. I'm not saying that they can't score goals; they can. Um, but I, it's it's a lot easier to play, and it, they didn't really play that way against Norwich, to be honest, because the Norwich are so poor. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's other ways. Um, I, I just, I mean, Chelsea and Liverpool was a good example because they, they obviously got the red card, but then they sat back that's the, in their defensive shell and held on to the point, which is generally what they do after, after, you know, getting a lead. Speaking of Norwich, Justin, let's go ahead and move over to that game sure. at the Brentford community stadium, Norwich picking up their first win of the season against Brentford who are now in quite a skid. People were very high on them after those first, you know, seven games or so. They were sitting up in like sixth place or something, but they've now lost four on the bounce, including to Norwich, who were the only winless team left in the entire league. Um, I mean, oh, sorry, Newcastle still haven't won either, actually. So I take that back. One of two remaining winless teams in the league. That's a horrible stat for Newcastle, by the way, who obviously Eddie Howe has just been appointed, and and, and we'll talk about that in a minute, Um, talk about their game with Brighton. But for Norwich, you know, they pick up their first three points of the season. Matthias Norman, who's kind of been their best player of the season, in my opinion, I thought he was actually pretty good um, against Everton, which is one of the only one of the few Norwich games that I've actually watched this season. He picked up a goal, (laughs) and then Pookie converted from the spot. Rico Henry pulled one back for Brentford, but it you know, wouldn't end up mattering. But Norwich win this game, get their first win in the Premier League in God knows how long, and, and then they sack Daniel Farka immediately after the game. What, what's kind of your thoughts on that? Like, I was pretty shocked, to be honest. Uh, very shocked. Uh, it's, it's not something you see very often uh, for a manager to get sacked after a win. I, I mean, obviously, they, they were planning it prior to the game. It, was, it was, didn't matter what the result was. Um, because, yeah, I mean, he, sh- he should probably go. He's been there a long time, obviously. But, you know, bottom of the table on two points at the time through 10 games, that was, that was very much sack-worthy. Um, he, he really should go. So that's not the surprising part. The surprising part was obviously that they, that happened right after their, you know, first win of the season. Uh, and, and, yeah, just I don't know if it uh, is because Norwich, you know, played Brentford last season. They're used to it. They didn't. They didn't have that men- mentality block or whatever. Um, but it, it was a good performance from Norwich. Obviously, Brentford, you know, still were probably the better team. They had more possession, more shots, more shots on goal. Their xG was nearly o- over double. Uh, so, you know, Brentford maybe should have, you know, been able to get a draw or even a win out of this, but it's those performances that Norwich need where maybe they're not the best team and they can still find a way to get points, especially three points. That's the only way they're staying up, which I don't think anybody really thinks they will at this point. No, I mean, it's just the timing is utterly baffling. Um, If you're going to sack it, like they, I I feel like there's no way they made the decision on Saturday, right? You lost to Leeds, and, and that was pretty bad because, you know, Leeds were one of the other two teams who had not won yet, right? So it was Leeds, Norwich, and Newcastle as of last week. They play Leeds and they lose. So then do it then or wait until next week when you play Southampton, who are a really good form. You're going to lose most likely, right? So then do, a, do it after that. But you get your first win of the season and that's when you choose to sack him after having lost all these games previously. It just, I don't get it. it, it it's just really strange. I don't think one week either direction makes much of a difference. Obviously you could say, you know, more so if they waited a week, you'd be like, Oh, well that's another week of potential uh, manager bounce or, you know, new manager bounce they, they could get, et cetera. But like, come on, it, it, they know they're going down. I think, I think they're, they know they're going down, which also makes the, inter- the, the decision about Farka interesting because he's shown that he can get them back to the Premier league very, very easily. So, 
I'm really interested to see what their appointment's going to be. There's been, you know, names thrown around like like Frank Lampard is one of the names I've seen thrown around. But then today there was reports of this guy named uh, Knutson, um, who who is managing uh, the t- Bodo Glimt, right, which is a team which which took down Mourinho's Roma six one in the Conference League, um, and and he is now being strongly linked with the Norwich job. I do not even want to try to pronounce his first name. Kietil? I think his name is Kietil Knudsen. Anyway, um, he might be the person coming in. There's strong reports out of, out of Norway that, that he's going to be uh, the new Norwich manager. I don't know. That'll be a very interesting space to watch. Obviously, one of the other vacancies was filled this week, which was Eddie Howe um, going to Newcastle. They drew 1-1 at the Amex. Um, Leandro Trossard scored a penalty, but it was Isaac Hayden of all people who, who found an equalizer for Newcastle. But as, um, I, I said just a few minutes ago, they are still without a win. Justin, what do you think about Eddie Howe going to Newcastle? Do you think he'll be able to keep them up? Well, I think as far as keeping them up, it really depends on the uh, January transfer window I agree. And, and who they bring in. Uh, I expect them to spend money. And if they do, they'll probably stay up based on, you know, getting getting some more quality players in there. And yeah, I mean, Eddie Howe, uh, the, the thing about Eddie Howe is, yes, he, he's, a, he's a quality manager. He plays attractive football and, and you know, he can bring Newcastle up in, the, in, the, in the, their quality. But to me, the thing is, is Eddie Howe really going to be the guy to attract the big name footballers that Newcastle wants to bring in? I know that's going to take some time. Maybe Eddie Howe is a stepping stone to a new manager. Uh, once Eddie Howe brings them maybe mid-table again, and then they get a new manager to bring in those big names. But, uh, you know, I, that, that's going to take some time, and I thought Newcastle would want to do it more quickly. So we'll see. That's, I, I, Eddie Howe's a great manager. I don't want to discredit him, but I do a question whether he's going to be that guy to be able to attract the big name players uh, to Newcastle. That, that's my only uh, reservation with him. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it doesn't really seem like a very long-term appointment. I, I'm, I'm thinking he could be there. I mean, so the contract is until June 2024. Honestly, the, I think I think he might leave like a year before that would be my kind of thought. But Rome wasn't built overnight, right? So although Newcastle are now the richest club in the world, they're not going to be able to kind of Im, Im, implant themselves, get way up the table that quickly. I think – how you know has been way he's been out of um out of managing since the end of project restart when bournemouth were relegated obviously um and and then he took all of last season off Uh, to me i i honestly i like the appointment i i think he will be able to keep them up i i saw shouts on twitter saying that he's a quote-unquote crap manager which i think is outrageous because he took a minnow of a club from league two to ninth in the premier league on a shoestring budget, you can't be anything less than a very good manager and, and do that. What I will say is, um, I don't know, just defensively, that's where the question marks come up uh, about Eddie Howe. Is he going to be able to stop Newcastle from leaking goals? They haven't conceded an insane amount, um, to be honest. Uh, actually, oh, 24, never mind, they have. I was looking at goals for, not goals against. So, yeah, we'll see how that happens. Obviously, he gets Callum Wilson back. We know he can get the the best out of Callum Wilson. Um, So that'll be interesting to see. So now let's move on to Sunday's games. Um, Well, let's talk about Everton, my Everton, hosting Tottenham Hotspur, Antonio Conte's first game, a what turned out to be a pretty boring nil-nil draw. Um, But to be honest, I think Everton were much the better team. I think we deserve to win the game. Spurs did not have a single shot on target in this match. And the only thing they, you know, the only time they really got close was uh, Lo Celso hit the post in about the 90th minute. Um, so, I mean, that was a decent chance, but he was about 25 yards out. Still, Spurs looked very uninspiring going forward. Kane and Son did next to nothing. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, normally, you know, Everton Spurs is a fantastic game with a lot of goals. Uh, very attacking, you know, fun to watch, but not this one. Both teams with under one uh, XG uh, and, yeah, not not many chances. As you said, Spurs zero shots on target, Everton two. So I'm not, not the most exciting game you're ever going to watch. And then 
uh, obviously Conte is is still trying to implement you know his ideas and that's going to take some time so it's nothing much to be taken from that in my opinion except for the fact that you know he was able to find a draw and not concede a goal not concede very many chances in the way that he set up uh, Spurs but yeah I nothing nothing too exciting in that game unfortunately because normally there is I do have to just mention it I mean I'll say the team spirit, kind of the, the fight um, from Everton, I think was much better compared to particularly that first half of the Wolves game where we just looked like we weren't bothered. And I have to mention it, you know, Everton were awarded a penalty. Um, Hugo Lloris took out Richarlison. He got the slightest touch of the ball, which is what VAR saw um, and, and revoked the, the penalty being awarded and then gave Spurs a drop ball in their own penalty area, despite the fact that Richarlison had the ball with Lloris scrambling to get back in his goal. He was 15, 20 yards out of his goal. Everton had the ball in the, you know, right outside the box because Richarlison got back up and got the ball. And then when that gets overturned, the ball gets given back to Spurs. Like, I mean, the penalty, okay, he touched the ball. So it's probably not a penalty. I was saying, you know, I was seeing a lot of Everton fans who obviously were, were not happy and thought it shouldn't have, it wasn't clear enough to be overturned because yes, Larice touches the ball, but then he literally grabs Richarlison's leg, right? So Larice touches the ball, but it still gets past him. Then Richarlison could go get it very easily and tap it in and he grabs Richarlison's leg. So, you know, I honestly think I'm okay with it not being a penalty, but I'm less okay with it being overturned. Um, I, I think once it was called, it, it probably the call on the field probably should have stood. Um, but either way, that drop ball rule needs to be revisited because that makes literally no sense whatsoever. Um, and then, Justin, one of the other games uh, from yesterday was, was Leeds versus Leicester, where basically the only action in the game happened within two minutes. It was Rafinha who put in a free kick in that perfect corridor of uncertainty. No one touched it, went all the way in. And then I, I just have to mention it. Harvey Barnes's equalizer literally seconds later. What a goal that was. Him, he was back in the side for the first time in a while, and he just plants one straight in the top bins. What a finish. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it was a one one, but this is as usual leads, pretty interesting game. Uh back and forth. Good a relatively good amount of chances. The stats maybe not showing that uh particularly well, but it's it, it was it was an entertaining game to watch as I would expect Leeds Leicester to be, uh, but you know both teams underperforming this year, both teams in the bottom half, which I'm not sure uh, anybody would have predicted. So, it, you know, it, this is one that Leicester should be winning, and one that you know in reality Leeds probably should have won um, because they had more chances and, and better chances at that. So. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to see how this is is shaping up for Leicester. I mean, is Rodgers in the hot seat is is the question to me because he's done a lot. He obviously, you know, won a trophy for them uh very early, but 12th place for Leicester City is is not where they want to be. Um, no. so I don't see why he's not in the hot seat. Um but I honestly haven't seen much talk about it. I mean, I think he should be He's level on points with Everton with a worse goal differential. And you think about the, the players that we've been missing and, and how bad we've been, you know, the last four or five games. Yeah, that's not a good look for Leicester. And I do have to correct myself real quick. I said that Leeds had not won until they beat Norwich last week. That's not true. They had actually beaten Watford um, at the beginning of October. But still, their only wins are against uh, Watford and, and Norwich, who are, you know, two of, two of the worst teams in the league, you know, obviously. Um, but speaking you know, of de- de- decent point for Leeds, by the way, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Speaking of Watford, uh, just quickly, they, you know, lost, uh, one nil to uh, Arsenal at the Emirates, uh, Emil Smith Rowe getting a sole goal. And uh, on that topic as well, he, him getting his first England call up today. So big, big moment for him. A lot of people have been calling for that. I don't think the goal should have stood. I really don't because, the, the ball comes to is Mela Sar and, and he kind of gives it away back to, I forget who it was. I think it might've been Ben White who then went on like a bit of a mazy run and the ball got deflected to Smith Rowe who scored, but Sar got body checked as soon as he passed the ball. So I, I personally think that Arsenal's good. That, that goal should have been a, a foul for Watford. I don't think it should have stood, but 
Um, you look at the stats and Arsenal definitely deserve to win this game. Six shots on target to one, 61% possession. Um, so, you know, it, it's another good point or another good victory rather for um, Arteta's Arsenal. Also, by the way, they got 1.56 XG to Watford's 0.45. So probably a deserve it three points for them. Although I think that goal should not have stood. Also the Saka offside thing. I saw people were talking about that. Come on, people learn the offside law. It's the second to last defender just because Ben Foster is further out and Cavaselli was on the line does not mean that Saka is onside. Yeah, it's, it's one that's rare, but it, people should know the rule for sure. Um, and then the, the last game of the weekend, which was a, a fantastic game at the London Stadium, 3-2 to West Ham. Uh, you, Allison with, with the own goal in the fourth minute to start it off. Uh, and then Trent with a really uh, just a peach of a free kick, you know, f- keeper f- completely frozen to level it. Uh, and, and then West Ham able to go up 3-1 with Fornals and Zuma pretty close to each other. Uh, and, and Origi getting one back uh, near the end to, to make it a look a little bit closer. But, you know, a really um, good performance from West Ham. They are fantastic this season. Really incredible. Um, I've actually just seen shot three shots on target, uh, three goals. So there you go with that. And 30%. Well, no, well, yeah. Okay. But, th- but you yeah, think right. Yeah. yeah. I, own goal does not count as a shot on target. Right. Right. Exactly. That's a good point. And uh, 30% possession. So um, Liverpool is still dominating the run of play, but it's, it's what you do with the ball that really matters. And West Ham, uh, their counterattacking play was top notch. They continually, uh, uh, you know, had, had really good chances. The Fornals uh, goal was a perfect example of that. Yeah, they had a higher, they had a higher XG than Liverpool, 1.23 to 1.11. So obviously relatively marginal, but then, you know, that does not include the Allison own goal. Cause you look at, I'm looking at the XG philosophies tweets right now. They said after five minutes, West Ham with zero XG, Liverpool with zero XG, yet yeah. West Ham are winning one nil, which I thought was funny. And speaking about that goal, um, I, I think it probably was a foul. I think it probably should have been called. But at the same time, I was less than impressed, a lot less than impressed with Allison in this game. I think, you know, although Ogbonna is kind of getting in there, Allison should still do better. Like he, he punched it into his own goal. It wasn't going in until it hit the inside of his left fist and, and went in. And then the Fornals finish was kind of right at him. Like it was not a very good finish from Paulo Fornals and Allison let it in anyway. So I was not impressed with him. And then uh, Kurt Zuma's header, I mean, that's pretty classic Kurt Zuma pe- peeling off to the back post, but the, the replay shows it quite vividly that Trent is just standing there watching Zuma <laughs> headed in his net. Like they were saying, oh, Trent is mesmerized, but it's not about him being mesmerized. It's that he, he doesn't know what he's doing. And, and he was just being lazy. And we've talked about, I mean, not that him contesting Zuma would have mattered much. Trent has about a 20% aerial win rate, which is one of the worst uh, in the whole league among defenders. But I don't know. We, it's the same thing. Liverpool have been uh, a bit culprit defensively this season. And, and I know you, we were talking about it. And I don't think Van Dijk has been quite himself since coming back from the injury. Um, you know, they've been leaking goals quite a bit. You know, two goals from corners. So I'm not yeah, sure, but... Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're, you're spot on on Allison. I, I do agree with you that that first one probably should have been a foul, but I'm not, you know, angry at VAR for not overturning it because, you know, it's, it, it's a tough call. Um, but yeah, tr- Trent, I mean, we're talking about, you know, there's a lot of talk about the, who, who's the best fullback in the world right now. Cancelo, Trent. It's uh, Cancelo, she, by the way. I full, You're not going to get an argument from me. Um, <laughs> But the, but I think what what really separates Trent and, and Cancelo at the moment is is what you said that that defensive ability. Trent is a winger; he really is. Yeah, uh, no, he he's not a fullback. Not not that you know Cancelo has been doing a lot of defending. As I go back to that stat <laughs> earlier of most attacking yeah, touches, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those attach, touches in the attacking third. But um, yeah, and then and then uh, as you said, we've talked about it with Van Dyke as as somebody who's gone through an ACL injury. I can tell you, it's not one that's easy to come back from. Uh, no, and, definitely not. And, and he, uh, you know, has not been the same. He, he really hasn't. That, that isn't to say he's not a good center back. That isn't even to say that he's not a world-class center back. Uh, he will probably return to that level. Um, I, I don't think he'll ever be the same as he was. 
but I think he'll, you know, return to being a, a world-class center back, but that is not really what we're seeing uh, early on this season. He's, he's no, working his way yeah. back. He's, he's been put to the floor a couple times um, by a few players. Bernardo Silva comes to mind, of course. Um, and yeah, a lot of people were hating on him, not for, for not trying to uh, block that for shot. He, you know, he, it's, it's this idea of, Oh, Van Dyke is an effortless defender, whereas, you know, somebody like Ruben Diaz, who he gets compared to a lot, just goes to ground a lot to block shots. And, you know, on that Fornals goal, he probably had a good shot of blocking it if he would go to ground, but he didn't. Uh, there was another time where he blocked a shot, actually, when he went to ground in this game. But, yeah, on that topic, it's very, very interesting. And uh, in the title race, obviously, you know, Liverpool dropping points. It was a fantastic weekend for Manchester City, who you know hopped Liverpool. Uh, West then, Ham even West Ham even hopped and, Liverpool and, and clawed two bo- two points back on Chelsea as well because they they exactly. obviously dropped points against Burnley. But I mean, it's interesting because you feel like Liverpool has been kind of the like if you weren't looking at the actual points and and looking at the table, you'd think Liverpool would kind of be top of the league. They've been the form team. They've had eye-catching performances, Mohamed Salah playing out of his mind, but they're in fourth place. They're behind West Ham, which is a bit mental. Really is. It really, really is. Yeah. And two weeks ago, they were the most informed team in the world. Uh, I mean, it just shows you how quickly things can change, especially this early in in the Premier League season. But, you know, this is what we love about about the Premier League. And we were, you know, talking last week about how we haven't been giving West Ham probably quite enough credit. We were thinking Europa League was going to destroy their depth. Now look at them. David Moyes, you know, 15 years on from taking Everton into fourth. And and he's got West Ham into third right now, level on points with Pep Guardiola's City. That's just mental to think about. But with that, Justin... Let's move on to the big topic of the day. MLS Decision Day happening yesterday. Drama around the grounds. All the games in the East at one time. All the games in the West at one time. Uh, where should we start? We should start in the East because that's what happened first. What, uh, an incredible... Chronological order. What an idea. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, a, a really, really exciting Decision Day. Um really for both conferences, but yeah, especially that Western conference, which we'll get to soon, but um, yeah, in starting in that uh, Eastern conference, we had in uh, New York city uh, getting a, a really crucial draw to keep them in a, a home field uh, uh, hosting playoff game. And uh, Atlanta, we're trying to catch them very late on with a comeback win against Cincinnati. Wasn't quite enough to put them in fourth. They, they're in fifth, so they will be visiting um, New York City at Yankee Stadium. And then uh, we That'll see... That'll be a good yeah, game. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely, absolutely. DC and Columbus both got their wins trying to chase the playoff spots, but it unfortunately was not enough for them um, since New York or Red Bulls were able to find a draw against Nashville, uh, which secured them that final playoff spot in seventh place. Uh, Nashville, of course, are all the way up in third and a really impressive season from them. Uh, Philadelphia in second, who will be playing Orlando City, uh, who, yeah, I Orlando City didn't even start Nani uh, in, in that game. Uh, really confused me. I didn't know why they were not uh, starting them, but but they found the win uh, anyway, 2-0 over Montreal. Um, so, so that was big for them. Garrett, what were your thoughts? And then, of course, sorry, New England, of course, uh, in, in that one spot with that MLS record, 73 points to finish the season winning the Supporters' Shield. So congratulations to them. Oh, and lastly, of course, uh, on New York City, Castellanos uh, winning the Golden Boot. Congratulations to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean um... – I feel like the the East we we haven't been talking about that much, but uh, you know the partially obviously that's because both of our teams are are in the West. But the fact of the matter is that you know there was no movement, uh, or at least within teams dropping out of the playoff spots. Correct. Um, in in the East there was a bit of change, uh, in terms of seating. But I mean, I just can't I can't look at this Eastern Conference and think anything. But how did Columbus not get in the playoffs? I mean, this is the the reigning MLS Cup champions we're talking about here with one of the best players in the league in, in Zelarayan. If you had predicted them to finish ninth in the East before the season, you would have been laughed out of town. Um, that's just that's just the standout thing to me. Which is probably a, a, I'm doing a a, a disres- I'm being disrespectful to New England because I, I also don't think 
you could have predicted how unbelievably good they would be this year. I mean, in a league which, you know, a lot of we, – we look at how close all these teams are in, in points. You know, there's not a lot to separate, you know, a lot of teams in the MLS, especially with traveling cross-country and how hard it is to win on the road. And 22 wins, seven draws, and five losses, a goal differential of 24. I mean, it's just an, a remarkable season from New England. Um, Bruce Arena kind of trying to pull back some of his reputation, even though that's a, a task that he will never complete. Thank you for uh, not qualifying us for the World Cup. Good job. Anyway, New England <laughs> with the best regular season in MLS Cup history, or in MLS Cup history, in MLS regular season history, best season. <laughs> But speaking of MLS Cup, Justin, do you think that they will be a team, a Supporter Shield winning team, which, you know, there's been a lot of coverage about the fact that the team that win the Supporter Shield pretty much never wins MLS Cup. I think it's only been done twice. Um, do you think New England have a really good shot at it? Or do you think that they will fail like, you know, the like LAFC did in the past, like, like Philadelphia, you know, almost spectacularly did last year as well? Well, yeah, I thought I thought the question was going to be, are they going to win it? And the easy answer would have been no, um, because of you know they have a lot of competition. Do they have a great chance though? Yes, they absolutely do. And here's why: not not only did they have an incredible season, obviously, but they have um, uh, one of the best players, if not the best player, all season who who you know should win MVP and Carlos Hill. Yeah, uh, and and then you know Buxa all around Buchanan. They they have a really quality team but the reason that they have such a good chance is bruce arena he is an an american coach he understands mls he has been here a long time and he understands what it takes to win not only in the regular season but in mls cup playoffs and that uh is is really crucial um you know you're talking about columbus caleb porter being another one of those guys there's not many of those guys left uh in in mls brian schmetzer at seattle would be one you know, there's a few of them, um, but it, it, you really need a coach who understands this league and understands how the playoffs work in this league in order to uh, uh, win MLS Cup. And so that's why I give them, you know, a, a pretty good chance. Obviously, the odds are still against them because of, you know, there's 14 teams and they're only one of them. But they, well, obviously, they get a buy, so that, that helps them out. Also, I but, think... Yeah. You, you look four of the top five teams point-wise in the league are in the West. So um, I, I also right. you know, just look at the East and, uh, you know, there are some solid teams and there's some very good players, obviously talking about Castellanos um, in, in New York City and we know about Joseph Martinez at Atlanta. But I also think the East, I, I think they have a, a better chance of getting out the East than they would have, than they would have getting out of the West. Um, Absolutely. Just, and that's not, not, by a, not by a huge margin, but I mean – at this point, I would be surprised if they didn't make it at least to the MLS Cup final. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could see them losing in the Eastern Conference final, but they, they have to, you know, they'll, they'll get the winner of New York City, Atlanta. Um, they, that should be a win at home. And then, you know, in the final, maybe they slip up against uh, Philadelphia or, you know, Nashville. Really, yeah, and something like that, maybe, maybe it happens. Um, but yeah, your point about the Eastern Conference is well taken because it's accurate. I mean, if they weren't in the Eastern Conference, they wouldn't have the MLS record um, points this season because the the East was just so much worse than the West this season uh, in terms of, you know, competitiveness and just overall quality. So yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those where it's like, Yes, they had an incredible season, but when you look at, you know, the, the competition is not as strong in the East. So it's like, it, did they really get the biggest test they could? Because, I mean, really no team was ever close to them. Where in the Western Conference. I mean, Colorado, Seattle, and Sporting Kansas City all had incredible seasons. If New England had to play them repeatedly, it, it would be a different story. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, although I also think, the East might be a little bit better rounded. Like you, you know, they had more teams like above the, above the 45 point mark, but like the difference between the top four in the West, you know, so fourth Portland and fifth Minnesota separated by six points. So Portland 55 and then KC, Seattle, Colorado, that top four was, you know, that's the, the, the class of MLS right there where on the East, 
you know, it was kind of a toss up till the end, you know, only three points separating second and sixth. Um, so I think having to play, you know, say that them and Colorado switched, having to play Seattle, Kansas City, Portland, you know, over and over w- would be real tough. Um, right. With that, let's talk about the West. Um, and, and I think we have to start um, – we have to start with the biggest occurrence that happened, which was the Galaxy drawing against Minnesota 3-3, which meant that a 93rd-minute Damir Crylock winner for Salt Lake in Kansas City jumped them above the Galaxy. We talked about a scenario where the Galaxy maybe would drop out and LAFC could, could squeak in. That didn't happen, but... It ends up that all of the California teams and all of the Texas teams and looking at the East, both of the uh, Ohio teams, all of them missed the playoffs. Um, so, you know, obviously we both wish that our teams were in it, but uh, the Galaxy dropping out is a nice little consolation prize. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take it as a consolation prize. Exactly. But yeah, cry like uh, not 93rd, actually 95th, even later. 95th. Uh, wow. 90. Yeah. 95th minute winner uh, for sporting Kansas. I mean, for, for RSL against sporting Kansas city, it was literally the last kick of the game. Unbelievable scenes Mental. on decision day. That, that is what decision day is all about is RSL sneaking into the playoffs with a late last minute goal because galaxy were unable to find the win that they needed. Um, they, they came back and, and almost got it, but uh, unable to do it. Um, and, and yes, as you say, there are six teams from uh, Texas and California combined, and it's only six teams that don't make it. Those were the six. So it is a coincidence, maybe. Uh, I don't know, but it, definitely a weird occurrence there. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, the the other big occurrence besides the, that major flip was uh, my game, Colorado LAFC. Yeah. 5-2 five two, five two thrashing uh, by Colorado. Um, honestly, I'll tell you, it was – I was glad it ended early. I, I by, by the second goal, I was like, all right, we're, we're not making the playoffs. At least I don't have to sit here in agony watching three games, hoping that all the results go our way and this and that. Um, uh, obviously, it, it sucks. It sucks that we didn't make it. Um, but it, it boosted Colorado – into that first spot uh, in the West, which is fascinating, absolutely incredible because uh, Seattle or, you know, drew with Vancouver, unable to find their win. And then as we just said, sporting to RSL. So that Colorado came out to win. They came out firing and, and, you know, converted their chances very well. Um, LAFC were, pretty good i mean played had, had more possession had some traded some chances just couldn't put them on target whereas colorado would you know take the ball and, and go put it in the back of the net very easily yeah I against mean, against the lfc back line you can't be conceding five goals when you're you know you know that you need to win and you need results to go your way to get in the playoffs obviously uh lfc would not have gotten into the playoffs even if, if they had one i don't believe right because of rsl winning correct correct so, it, would, it wouldn't have mattered but uh, wouldn't have mattered wouldn't wouldn't have mattered, but still still an embarrassment. But it did matter for still, Colorado. Yeah, very bad result. Oh no, it mattered a lot for Colorado. And it's kind of you know we were kind of talking about oh it's going to be Seattle or Kansas City taking that one spot, and Colorado just kind of came out of nowhere and snatched themselves a first round bye in the pat you know last like two three weeks of the season even um, finished really, really strong. Yeah, well, I mean they've they've been there all season. They've been in that you know third fourth spot just hanging around, and and you know, they've always had that chance to go snatch the first spot, but I think it's, you know, our feelings of we've watched Rapids throughout the year. We, we know people call them the Crapids. We know, you know, the history of, and, and it's not just getting that one seed. So I think that's why people, you know, favored Seattle and sporting Kansas city who have gotten that one seed, what the past two years, one each. Um, and so, yeah, really, really interesting uh, there. And, you know, Bob Bradley after the game, which he almost never does, admitted I put out the wrong first 11 in this game. Uh, yeah, Carlos, subbed on Vela after 30 minutes. He, he subbed on Vela after 30 minutes because we were down 1-0, uh, which, which first of all just means Vela was available to start and he should have started. So yeah. that's horrendous. But besides that, I mean, conceded three minutes after Vela came on. So it's not like 
that that was fantastic. Uh, and the the real thing about this was it didn't seem like LAFC players cared. They were they were walking around. It, it, there was no heart in this game, uh, and that's what that's what really hurt because it's it's obviously the biggest game of the season. It's the one that you need to win, and if you're not even running around the pitch, you you don't care enough, and you shouldn't be on this team. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, you know tension within LAFC, uh, whether what players will move on, whether Bob Bradley will move on, uh, whether you know John Thorrington, even the general manager, will move on, but. I I don't know. To me, if we can, if Bob leaves, then it, it will probably be worth it. There are a lot of rumors uh, today uh, about him going and coaching his son at Toronto. Um, so we'll, we'll see about that. Hopefully, that happens, and and LAFC can find a new uh, manager and and find a new, you know, team really. Because if if uh, Bob Bradley leaves, I would just guess Vela is going to leave as well. I, I see them as almost a package deal. Not exactly, but if, if either they're both going to stay or they're both going to leave, probably. Um, and then we'll see what happens with uh, Chicho Arango, whether he becomes a DP or not after his unbelievable uh, end to the season since he, came, since he arrived, um, in my opinion, newcomer of the year, which I know Garrett will disagree with. Uh, but Chelfies. yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> Chelfies. No, me, me and well. To me, to me, it's uh, if you can, you know, be there half the season and still perform as well as somebody who's been there the entire season. You know, their stats are very, very similar. That's a positive for uh, Chicho, not a negative. Yeah. But, okay, yeah. but I just think you look at context. How many goals did Chicho score from the spot? Eight. That good, more than half of them were from the spot. More but than he, half of them from the spot. He's also playing for, although you didn't finish in the playoffs, he's play, like the, the amount of talent he has around him versus uh, what, what Chofis does. Chofis carried San Jose. He really did, I, for, especially like the back half of the season. He carried us. And yes, Chofis, like, or, or uh, Chicho rather, you know, car- carried LAFC a bit. But also that, that's a team that finished like fourth in the playoffs last year, or fourth in the Western Conference last year or something like that. Where'd you guys finish? Uh, last year, yeah, yeah. I think we finished fifth, or we should no. We finished third uh, in the West, fifth overall, I believe. Okay, finished third in the West, and you know he, and although you know Velo was out, but he still has that was like, a different so much more quality season. around him, so much more service. But I don't know. I I still just think he scored over half his goals from the spot. Chofi scored like two pens and scored one of the best hat tricks in MLS history playing for a franchise, which is consistently very mediocre. So I think it should be Chofi's. Yeah. Well, when, when it comes out, we'll, we'll be sure to talk about this on the pod, but we can look ahead to the, you know, matchups that we see in the playoffs. The first game that uh, we're going to uh, get. Uh, wait, hold up. Okay. No, you forgot about the most important game on decision day. Oh, it's the quakes. Chris Wondolowski's last ride. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you can't, we're not yeah. going to brush over that. Come on now. Uh, well, of course, it's a major, a most important game. Certainly not. I guess. <laughs> no, no, but, definitely. Certainly. 100% is. But, um, but as far as yes, Chris <laughs> Wondolowski, I will, before you go on your tangent, because I'm sure you have a lot to say as uh, he is your favorite player to ever play this game. But yeah, as somebody who's not a San Jose Earthquake, who doesn't, you know, worship Chris Wondolowski, a, a really big loss for MLS, the MLS top goal scorer of all time. Um, it is just applaud his career and the way that he has risen uh, through through the ranks and, and, you know, made a career for himself in MLS. Uh, I, I would expect him to go into the San Jose front office or, or coaching staff um, can give your thoughts on that. But yes, just a thanks to Chris Wondolowski for what he's done for MLS, a really great representative, not only of San Jose, but of the entire league. I, I you know, couldn't say it much better myself. I mean, just one of the greatest underdog stories in American sports, um, you know, D2 guy playing at Chico state, you know, was no one believed in him. He was going to be nothing. He wasn't going to make it, you know, in the second round of the MLS supplemental draft, you know, not a guy with, you know, natural pace or crazy athleticism or anything other than the fact that he's the most like solely cerebral player I've probably ever seen in my entire life. Um, And, you know, ends up 
smashing the MLS goals record. You know, Landon Donovan at 145. Wando's up at 171, scoring goals up until age 38. Um, just an amazing, amazing player. My favorite player to ever play the game, you know, and that's probably only half of that is because of what he actually did on the pitch, right? Which was a lot, by the way. Let me just read off some of these career accomplishments. Most regular season goals, obviously. Most regular season and playoff goals, so combined. So that's just adding to his record. Most goals for one club, obviously, spending 14 of his 17 years um, in San Jose, most game-winning goals, a two-time MLS Cup champion, two-time Supporter Shield winner, five-time All-Star, uh, 2012 MVP, and the 2012 Golden Boot winner. Um, just an amazing, amazing career for an amazing player. But I say only 50% of why I love him is is what he did actually on the pitch. But his connection with the fans, what he meant and what he means, will always mean to the fans in San Jose. I, I genuinely don't think you you can find that anywhere else in the MLS um, or, you know, in, I'd almost argue in, in American sports in general, you know, someone who spent that long of their career at one club, the connection that he has in the fans. We were talking about this on the voice of black and gold, like, you know, Carlos Vela during El Trafico is sitting on the beach in Malibu somewhere. Meanwhile, Wando got suspended for a game in like 2017 and he was in the ultras with his shirt off, swinging his shirt around, going crazy when, uh, when I think it was Denny Hooson scored a goal or something. I mean, the man is just unbelievable, not only in, in his ability to just always be in the right place at the right time on the pitch, obviously, but his connection with the fans, his commitment to the club, um, just his humility and the fact that, you know, he stays around after every game signing autographs for every single person who, who shows up and waits for him. So um, I, I, I cried during his, uh, his speech. I, I did, you know, this is a player who I've been, you know, watching and loving and has been the guy at my local club since 2012 is when I started watching, but, you know, obviously it has been with the quakes for, for even longer than that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure there's much else I can say. He'll be missed greatly. Um, just an amazing person, even better player. Or, uh, sorry, amazing player, even better person is what I meant to say there. Um, so, yeah. 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 That really, really is. Just quickly to, this, to the point of him being a cerebral player. For those who don't know uh, the way that Wando plays, as, as Garrett said, he was never, you know, the most athletic, the fastest guy. But he, he knew exactly where to be. Um, and the best example of that is uh, the, um, a few many years ago, the, the uh, MLS All-Star game he played. And John Terry said to him, your, your movement's a nightmare for me. It's one of the best center backs to ever play this game. So yep. it, it is, he is class and he will be missed. I think I actually personally think the best example is the goal – to break Landon Donovan's record. It was, it was, you know, he scored four goals uh, on that fateful afternoon against Chicago, the second of which broke the record. So the first tied it. And the first was the first one was just Shea Salinas cutting in and whipping it in and Wando sliding and putting it in the back post, you know, pretty classic Salinas to Wando goal. But the second one, like the fact that he broke the record on this goal, it was a very, very rainy day. Um, and basically a cross came in to the keeper. He spilled it. Wando's crashing perfectly, gets his left foot on it and, and puts it in the most Wando way to break the record. So yeah, I, I, I can't say enough. Um, just what a legend. Um, and with that, now let's look forward to the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. With the first game that uh, we will see on Saturday, November 20th, will be Philadelphia hosting the New York Red Bulls. Uh, two thirty p.m. Eastern time. It's that that we're gonna get a good one there. I think. I I think that uh, you know Philadelphia's obviously been a good team, but Red Bulls will you know put up a, a really good fight. I think that you know just because they're seventh seed doesn't really mean too much. Uh, then that will be followed up uh, by Sporting Kansas City hosting Vancouver, uh, which will end the games uh, for that day, five p.m. Eastern for that one. Then we will get uh, to. Sunday, which will be uh, that NYCFC hosting Atlanta game that we were talking about, which uh, New England will get the winner of, uh, followed by uh, Portland against Minnesota. So those four or five matchups will be on Saturday, um, 
Which, I'm looking which, forward to both yeah. of those a lot. I think that those are the, I, I just always love the four versus five because, you know, literally anything can happen. And, but I mean, anything can happen in general. You look at the Quakes last year, nearly going to Kansas City and, and knocking off Sporting KC, despite us being an eight seed, which obviously doesn't exist this year, and KC being the one seed. But those four versus fives, like I, I said it earlier, I think Atlanta. Um, Atlanta going to Yankee Stadium, that's going to be a fascinating game, obviously with Joseph Martinez back and, and kind of getting back to his former self at the moment. And then Portland and Minnesota, two teams who you know have at certain points of the season been absolutely on fire, but then have cooled off at other times. So it's really, and, and you know, this is kind of your classic MLS cliche, but it's you know, are you playing well at the right time in the season? And that's going to be a, a question posed for both Minnesota and Portland. Um, so I, that will be a very fascinating game as well. Personally, I will be pulling for Minnesota just because their manager, of course, is Adrian Heath, Everton legend. So, yeah. And, and to that point, uh, the, the last game of the first round uh, after well, first on Tuesday, we'll get the Nashville uh, hosting Orlando City, which also will, will be a good game. Um, I'm curious to see after Nashville having a great season, can they continue that in the playoffs? I've but, got Nashville. I got, I've got Nashville on that one at home. I think they're they're taking that one. Yeah, I don't know. The Orlando City have a very talented team. Nani, DK, Pereira, etc. They very very good team uh, that and can surprise anybody at any moment, uh, in my opinion. And then the last game, as I just said, would be Seattle hosting RSL. And that, to your point of, are you playing right at the right time? Seattle is not. I mean, they, they, if they would have won, what, one of their last five games or something like that, they would have taken that one seed. They couldn't win any of them. So it, it's, you know, we'll see if they can, you know, keep that up and, uh, yeah. f- you know, find a way in the playoffs because normally, obviously, Seattle are a great team. I know they've been, they've been resting Rui Diaz. Uh, Morris is coming back slowly. They've been, you know, giving uh, Lodero some time to rest. So I, I know that they've... They haven't really been too focused on the, uh, the last few games, but still, you know, should be doing, doing better than they have been. Yeah. I mean, you think if there's a, if there's an opportunity for, you know, a two seed to, to upset a seven seed, you know, this is definitely one of them. Vice versa. Or sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. Seven seed upset a two seed. You, you get the point, right? RSL <laughs> coming in on a huge high after that just unbelievable winner from Crylock, just the scenes, absolutely insane. And Seattle, you know, although, yes, they have this experience, they have, you know, I'd say probably the second best coach, if not the best coach in, in MLS, you know, I think it's kind of Schmetzer and, and Arena are, are, are the top two right there, pretty clearly yep. for me. Um, but, you know, Seattle, you, you have to have momentum. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is, you know, how much talent, you know, obviously Rudy has resting, but you know, do you think Jordan Morris is really going to be able to make an impact in this game? Not, you know, really what he played his first game, his first home game, at least or something in God knows how long recently, obviously was out on loan and whatnot and was injured. Um, So I don't know. I I think I, I'd still lean and say that I don't think Seattle will lose this one at home, but you don't know, man. I think Salt Salt Lake definitely have a, have a decent chance to pip this. If there's ever a a time that there could go into Seattle and win a playoff game, I think this could be it. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it should be said that that win was at Sporting Kansas City at Children's Mercy Park, who, you know, were were competing for that one spot in Seattle, only finished two points behind them because of that loss. It's not like they had nothing to play for. Exactly. So it was, it was a big win for them, but, and then, yeah, and then uh, on, on that Thursday, we'll see uh, Colorado get the winner of uh, Portland, Minnesota. And then all the way the next uh, Tuesday, we'll see New England get the winner of uh, NYCFC Atlanta, which Garrett and I were talking about before the podcast is terrible scheduling from the MLS. I yeah. Mean, giving giving uh, the Portland, Minnesota winner four days rest while the winner of NYCFC Atlanta gets nine days rest. I mean, that that is unfathomable i don't know yeah, who came up with that I, I don't even know what to say about that I, it's one of the weirdest things i've seen uh, we know mls you know is weird sometimes but that one is is uh very confusing i will give credit to mls because they did something i did not expect and that is start all the games at the same time uh which is is very very rare for mls <laughs> but they got they got it right for mls yeah they, they say they started at the same time but they don't 
but they did they did this time somehow they did so it they they did it this time all they all started they were supposed to start at what three twenty three for the western conference they started what three twenty three twenty five but all at the same time so we'll see but yeah very exciting uh to to get into the playoffs uh we we are heading into an international break uh otherwise in in you know the premier league as well as you know in the MLS we're not going to get a game till the 20th but you know international break for a couple of weeks and then we get back into the premier league and back into uh the MLS playoffs which should be very very exciting and i think with that justin that's going to be us for this week thank you so much for listening be sure to follow us on twitter at U90Football, that's U90Football. We'll be back next week talking about the big game on Friday, the U.S. playing against Mexico in World Cup qualifying. Doesn't really get much bigger than this. Um, And we will actually be delaying next week's episode by one day. So it will be coming out on Wednesday so that we uh, can wait until after the U.S. then play Jamaica on Tuesday. So we have, you know, more than just one game to talk about. Um, for next week. But thank you all for listening. Um, hopefully the U.S. will pick up a, a huge, what would be a huge, huge three points against Mexico on Friday. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll see you then. Um, thank you again for listening. <laughs>